Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Eagles fans, this is Mike K from NJ Advanced Media. Welcome to the No Huddle Show podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Philadelphia Eagles. You can read our content on nj.com slash eagles, bookmark that, and you can subscribe to our exclusive Eagles Insider Tech service, where we'll break news, give you insider observations, and provide in-depth analysis. Through Eagles Extra, you can send questions and comments directly to us, and we'll respond to you to your phone. With me today, as always, is my fellow Eagles beat reporter, Chris Franklin. Today, we're going to discuss the Eagles' 23-23 tie with the Bengals, Doug Peterson's late-game decision-making, and the continued unraveling of Carson Wentz. Other than that, everything should be great. How are you doing, Chris? Um, Today's post-game adjective confused because it's a tie. It feels like a loss, but it's a tie and the team somehow gained ground against the other teams in the NFC East. So I'm not really sure how to feel right now, to be honest. Well, let me just hit you in the face with some some knowledge, okay? All right. So the Eagles from here get to face the 2-1 and one San Francisco 49ers on the road after the 49ers just dismantled the Giants without like half of their notable starters. Then from there, the Eagles travel to Pittsburgh where they face a Steelers team that's 3-0 and and putting up a bunch of points and doing really well on defense, sacking the quarterback, creating turnovers. Oh, and then from there, they get to host the Baltimore Ravens, who are just running through everyone uh, in their path. Obviously, they've got the matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday, and that'll bear watching for sure. But the Ravens look scary on both ends of the ball. And then from there, they play the lowly Giants, who they've dominated in seven straight wins. But that said, that's a long time to find relief. Like, realistically, this Eagles team could start 1-5-1 and one and be at the bye 1-6-1. and one. And by then, you're probably looking at several firings or dismissals in the process. There's no coming back from, like, 0-4-1. Oh, uh, it's just not a thing. And I think, you know, this win, even if it was in overtime, would at least would have been good news for their standings. I just don't know how this team rebounds at this point. How do you feel? It's it's a hole. They've dug themselves into a hole now that I still don't even know how they can climb out of this. Especially like you said, mentioned there's with this 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 gauntlet of teams that are coming up. I mean, granted, 40, the 49ers are inj- have a lot of injuries, but this team hasn't shown you that they can go ahead and play up to that level to go ahead and beat them. 
I just don't know where he can go from here. And if that does happen, I mean, it was interesting that Brandon Graham said the team hadn't quit on Doug. Well, you're sitting at one four one. If they go ahead and everything goes to chalk, possibly, or even if they lose out, lose all those games, which is quite conceivably they can do the way they've been playing lately. I don't know how this team can still go ahead and fight for Doug, and is especially with a record that a record like that. It's just this is just setting up to be a very long season, and 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 some sorry they already had some difficult decisions to make, and when it came to the roster, when it comes to this roster for the next year you may have to start looking at executives and, and coaching if it continues to go down this path. Yeah, remember this team is only three years, or not even three years removed from from winning a Super Bowl. Like, they, the, they, I mean, they've made the playoffs the last two years. I mean, they've kind of moonwalked, but they were division champions last year. I mean, this is, this is quite a fall from grace, and that's why this tie feels like a loss. It also feels like a loss because it kind of seemed like when when there was momentum or there was an opportunity for Doug Peterson to put his faith in a team that had really nothing to lose. I mean, outside of an overtime matchup to the Bengals, which yeah, this tie helps them temporarily, but in the long grand scheme, they lost another opportunity to get a win here. And, you know, Doug Peterson twice was given the decision to potentially play for the win. And he chose to keep, uh, the tie in focus. So first Carson Wentz ties up the game at, late in the fourth quarter. I believe there's like 30 seconds left on a scramble scores, a touchdown. Doug Peterson decides to go for the extra point to play for the tie and play for overtime that I completely understand, but it's not really necessarily in his gutsiest head coach in the league uh, reputation to just kind of play it safe there. Then, uh, as the clock's winding down and there's 19 seconds left in overtime after Matt Pryor uh, had an unacceptable false start um, to move the Eagles back out of field goal range, Peterson decided to just punt it. I mean, instead of going for it on fourth and 12 or kicking a 64-yard field goal, um, it's puzzling to me. I, I, I just feel like this team has kind of lost its edge. It's lost its hope and and really... You could talk about not quitting on Doug Peterson, but did Doug Peterson quit on this team by not going for it on fourth and 12? I don't think he quit on the team himself. And for a record, I still think he is still the uh, the ballsiest coach and head coach in the NFL, but he sure damn well didn't look like it today at all, especially my, my biggest gripe. Well, I have gripes on both of them. When it comes to that two-point conversion, this team, my the only negative play they had was five beginning at the beginning of the drive was Miles Sanders losing three yards. After that, this the running backs were averaging six yards per carry on that last drive. Six. That offensive line was starting to move. In. It was starting to push push the Bengals defender defensive line off the ball, and they were moving forward. I mean, if they just handed the ball off to Sanders down there for, for he could he could the way he was performing, he could have just like laid down and gotten two yards, and they would have gotten the two points and win the game. But even even if even if Go ahead and say, hey, you know what? Let's go ahead and play for overtime. Okay. It's fourth and 12, and Pryor had that inexcusable – he is completely inexcusable false start to push it back. You're not going to put Elliott for a 64-yard field goal. It's tough for him. It's a low trajectory. He's got more of a chance to be blocked. Okay. But to go out there and punt on a fourth and 12, you mean to tell me that that big play sheet that Doug Peterson has – with 
plays specifically for a bunch of other players, you mean to tell me there's not one or two plays on there that you could have gone ahead and tr- at least try to see if you could have picked up a fourth down? Hightower at one, a couple of times was going ahead. And he was beating he was beating whoever was covering him. He was beating him down the field. At least try to throw it up deep to see maybe he can either he catches it or draws a pass interference. You mean to tell me there wasn't a crossing play that go ahead and find Zach Gertz for 12 yards? You mean to tell me there was no other option to go there and decide, eh, let's just punt it away and keep it going? There were so many options that he had on that play call sheet, and he never used it. And it's it, for the life of me, I don't know why he didn't at least attempt it. I know he said after the game, well, we didn't want to give him possibly give him field position, and we didn't want to move the ball. Where's the faith in the defense? They were holding their own. I don't think that – Joe Burrow would have gotten them into field goal range with Bullock's leg. And then you look at what they were doing. It's just, he didn't show, he didn't show that he wanted to get that win. And now that could have changed the whole face of the season. Now that, that looking back, we may look back at week three and those two calls say, Hey, you know what? I didn't think they were going to Super Bowl run (laughs) nowhere near that. Maybe the seventh, maybe getting that extra playoff slot. And now they lost all the momentum. So it's, yeah, I don't. I don't agree with Doug on those two play decisions. Yeah, I mean, it, look, this is a team that scored over twenty points for the first time, and they still couldn't close. Uh, look, uh, look. Here's my biggest issue with Doug Peterson. Once again, he quit on the run. Look, there was a, an extremely clear plan here, and I'm not trying to act like I'm a genius, but I said it a hundred times, and I was a hundred percent correct. Right off the bat, Miles Sanders picks up 11 yards and 14 yards. He should have dominated the first half. This game shouldn't have even been close. He was running amok. And they just got away from the run and favored the pass. And with a Carson Wentz who has become a shell of himself in a lot of ways from an accuracy standpoint, from a decision standpoint, from an overall just like control in the pocket standpoint. Yeah, they moved him out in space. That was great. He looked very mobile today. Uh, picked up 65 yards and a touchdown on the ground. It was pretty impressive. But as a passer, he just doesn't look right. So why are you continually putting him in this position to bury you? He threw two awful interceptions again. For the third time in three games, he has thrown multiple interceptions. It's just not acceptable. He's completing less than 60% of his passes. He's off on several throws. Like, at at what point do we have to say, like, look, uh, you spent a second-round pick on this Jalen Hurts kid. What does he have? And Jalen Hurts finally touched the football today. Uh, You know, there was some good, there was some bad. He fumbled on one snap, his first direct snap. He took it for eight yards and a first down. I think that's how they'll use him moving forward. But really... Not only have you put some pressure on Wentz, you put some pressure on the head coaching staff and or the head coach and the GM by now having to wait it out for Carson to potentially get out of this funk. Because if not, people are going to want to see the second round pick. As much as they hated that pick, they're going to want to see return on investment. And right now, Carson Wentz isn't returning on the investment of getting that large extension that he got last off, not this off season, but this past off season. Oh, and by the way, he hasn't really even touched it yet. So the chances of moving on from him are very slim at this point based on his play, because they're not going to release him and trading him after you've watched these last three games. I don't know what team's trading for him on a franchise quarterback salary. So uh, where are you at with that whole standpoint of using Jalen hurts more? I mean, like this offense is not very good. 
You know what this is eerily similar to? Remember when Donovan McNabb was struggling and Kevin Cobb was drafted? Yep. It's eerily going down that same path right now. I'm not – I'll probably give him two more games, two or three more – actually, you know what? I'll give him three games. And if he still continues to throw two and three interceptions, bad-looking interceptions, missing wide-open receivers – I mean, I'll get back to that in a sec – but if he continues to do that, I'm gonna you're gonna have to see what you have at least in Hertz, at least to see what's going on, because at that point you're not really gonna be able to do anything much. And you might as well just for all intents and purposes tank the rest of the season to get a better draft pick, which this time might help hurt a little bit more when it comes to that. But the one thing I really saw that I was disappointed in Wentz, there's a couple of things you think on a, as a quarterback, you gotta think on the run. And there was a play on that one interception. Deshaun Jackson was lined up in the slot. Nobody was around him for 10 yards. Nobody. So you would think you at least go, hey, you know what? There has to be, in that, within that offense, there has to be a little quick check with me where you look over to him, you say, hey, you know what? There's nobody on who was supposedly at the time my number one receiver for yards, and he's fast. Let me go look over to the left side, give him a quick signal, snap the ball, and throw it over, and let him do his thing. That never came up. Instead, he threw a poorly thrown ball over to the right side that was eventually picked off. He has to... And every week we continually hear him say, I have to do a better job. I have to do a better job. I have to learn from my mistakes. When at one point do we start to look and say, Hey, you know what, what has he learned? He's not doing that. He's not doing, he's not showing that he's learned a lot of stuff. And it's getting, if I'm a, if I'm on a defense and I keep seeing my quarterback continually going ahead and putting me in bad positions and we have to short, short, defend a short field, I know they won't say it publicly, but you have to think in some of these rooms or in text messages or Facebook groups or what have you, they go ahead and just go, hey, you know what? What's going on here? It hurts. It just starts to domino across and spread out across the team. So he has to figure out a way to go ahead and rectify this. Because if not three games, you might just throw Jalen Hurts just to see what you have for the future. And you're the patient one of the two of us. Like yeah. I, I'm on board with three three games and then get the hook. But um, you bring up the defense and them and, and being put in poor positions. Let me turn that around on you because I here's the thing. I think the defense played relatively well today. Obviously, they had 18 QB hits and eight sacks. I thought the game plan for the most part worked. I mean, they they played that that sticks defense and it killed them. Uh, late in the game and led to a field goal uh, when Giovanni Bernard broke free on a screen for 42 yards. But here's the thing. The defense isn't creating turnovers. They've yet to get a turnover in three games. That's a huge part of, of this defense. Like when this defense is, when Jim Schwartz's defense is at its best, it's creating pressure and creating turnovers. And you know, Avante Maddox got injured in this game. Uh, he injured his ankle. I don't know what they do at corner anymore because nobody's making plays on the ball. Darius Slay had to come out for a little while. The safeties have not been able to make plays at all either. Um, I, I just, look, if there's going to be a chess piece that falls off the board early, if this team continues to skid, it's going to be Jim Schwartz. He's the very clear scapegoat here. And I got to tell you, as much as his players talk him up and appreciate him taking the blame for stuff, they're not really helping the guy out. Like, they're not making plays on the ball. Like, I don't know where Nate Deary is supposed to be half the time. Um, you know, they just don't look like they're cohesive. They don't look like they're getting their spots. 
And, you know, you wrote this call, uh, you wrote the story about them not worrying about leadership. You're right. They shouldn't worry about leadership. They should worry about skill and play calling. This isn't a leadership issue. These guys are not just playing undisciplined. They're not playing well because they're not that good. Um, uh, look, 11 penalties, 93 yards between the offense, defense, and special teams. Yes, they are playing undisciplined. But frankly, the offense and defense have just not played well. Uh, I, I don't know how you get more out of these guys. W- w- what's your solution to this problem? Or is there a solution? I think I don't think there is a solution because defense first. I wouldn't fire. I wouldn't use Schwartz as a scapegoat only for this reason. Like we mentioned before, he's been put in his defense has been put in so many bad field position situations that they have to defend that to defend against. And that, I I put that more on the offensive on on the offense. I start to look personally more. I start to look at either Press Taylor or. or possibly giving up the play calling to somebody else, but that's down the line a little bit more. That, I probably look that angle. But I think when you look at what he was given, I really want to know how much input he he had on the linebacker situation. Because like you said, they carry – I really wonder what he, where he's running half the time. You see on that on that touchdown pass that uh, Burrow threw early on, he looked Burrow threw, threw it right right in between him and another defender. I was looking at like, what, is he supposed to be getting the curl flat there? Is he supposed to be getting the deep third? Like, why is the linebacker going for a deep third there on, on in that situation? So, I think the one thing I the first thing I probably do is I change probably start looking at the play calling and maybe Doug has to give up the play calling because. Look how many times, look how many balls are being thrown within less than 15 yards in the middle of the field. If I keep seeing that, if I'm a if I'm a defensive coordinator and I keep seeing that they're going to go keep throwing the ball in the middle of the field within 15 yards, I'm just going to put more people in the box because then I can stop your run game and I can go ahead and start defending against that cr- the crossing routes. If I see another mesh crossing route going across with the tight ends or the wide receiver, it's predictable. So either they have to start looking at that aspect but I, I I wouldn't put this solely on Schwartz just yet. He and also he has a lot he has a lot of say when it comes to a lot of stuff there it seems like too. So I think Schwartz would stay a little bit. I think they try to tinker and give the play call to who knows one of those ten, Good 11, luck. twelve office of assistants. Good luck with that. Good luck with that, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, this has always kind of been. I, I look. I wouldn't make Schwartz the scapegoat, but I definitely feel like this is where it's going. I think, you know, you have Schwartz, then it's Wentz either getting benched. Um, I think Howie's going to have to start trading off assets. Like, this is going, if this continues to snowball, the Philadelphia hasn't really had to deal with this in a very long time. You can talk about Chips last year. You can talk about Andy's last year. But they had the ability to, I mean, like, both of those how he got the chance to be patient. I think the expectation level is raised super high now after the Super Bowl win, after, you know, making the playoffs for three straight years. Like this team was expected to contend. And not only are they not contending, they're not winning. They're literally not winning. They are winless. So look, Jeffrey Lurie has shown impatience in the past. Uh, He reportedly had a lot to do with Mike Rowe and Carson Walsh getting shown the door like if he's going to continue to get involved they showed a video i mean they showed you know 
uh, some shots of him watching the game and he did not look thrilled um, at what he was witnessing. Look, I I, I think Lurie's a guy who is not going to just sit and wait. He's not a patient man. Um, I don't know what the future holds for Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson beyond this season. I don't think either one of them is going to get pink slipped in the middle of the season just because of the Super Bowl win and and they're due some time to kind of let things cool. But if things keep snowballing the way they could and, and and you look at this schedule, like, yeah, the division games are winnable, but, like, they also still have to play the Seahawks, the Saints, the Packers, the Cardinals. Like, this is a really, really, really tough schedule. And it'd be one thing if they were showing glimpses of hope, but they're just not. This is like a – at this point, I, I think this is a five-win team, and maybe that's being nice. Like, they just are very incoherent, and I – Look, again, like you said, they're going to have to switch stuff up, but there is absolutely no way Doug Peterson is giving up play calling this year. I would be stunned. Um, and honestly, who would you really give the play calling to at this point? I'd probably give it to Skangarella. give it Skangarella or, well, I'd say The guy with who just got to... fired for for coming off too, you know, squeamish for Vic Fangio. I just like maybe he's a great play designer, but I I don't know. I like do you give it to Deuce, who's never really called plays? Uh, do you give it to Marty, who's a senior consultant? Like what? Like that's the thing. Like everybody always talks about replacing Jim Schwartz or replacing, you know, a player. Who are you going to replace Doug Peterson's play calling with? Because Doug Peterson's revered as a really good play caller. So you know what I mean? Like how are you not? How are you upgrading your play calling if you're if you're dropping him? I, I still definitely think you can go Skangarella or I say well this one I I, I wouldn't go Marty Morningwood because you know if, we're, if they're throwing a the ball about forty times right now you know you probably get fifty five uh, things and, and what's a running play so I'd stay away from him but I think <laughs> you may have to get it. maybe it's time for a new voice like that inside to go ahead and actually call the plays and see the ball from see when you see and I also think this is another thing too and I and I'm just. Basically, this is on my or my experience and just looking overhead. Press Taylor's maybe Press Taylor needs to go back up in the box and see the ball, the game from a different view. I mean, I think I, I think you have a we have a coordinator that possibly could go ahead and and see it from the whole game from a different angle, and you're not in the moment looking down on the field. Maybe that goes ahead and, and different play calls are happening, and they get a better feel for the thing as well too. So I think. I'd probably go Skanger. I still would go Skangarella as my first option to go ahead and start calling calling his plays. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give it to Press just yet, but I, I definitely think think that might be the route to go when it comes to calling this calling this offense. And remember, we talked about the injuries. Deshaun Jackson now has a hamstring injury. Um, you know, we saw guys leave the game. We saw uh, Dallas Goddard who suffered an ankle injury. He could be out for a while. So. All the folks that don't want to see 12 personnel too much, you're going to get your wish. Uh, <laughs> you know, there were guys that had to step up with with both of those veterans out of the lineup. I thought Deontay Burnett looked good. I thought you brought up John Hightower. He drew two massive pass interference penalties that ended up setting them up for the fourth quarter game-tying touchdown. Um, look, I think Greg Ward's a guy who a lot of people have been down on. He came into the game averaging six yards a catch. He caught eight passes for 72 yards. Um, look, again, there were glimpses of hope in this. Jake Elliott was terrific. It's a shame that he didn't get his revenge game, uh, close out. I think he would have nailed it from 59 yards out. Uh, Matt Pryor, let's talk about Matt Pryor. Okay. 
Um, Matt Pryor had a false start penalty uh, on fourth down. Jake Kelly was about to kick a 59-yard field goal. Uh, apparently he was very emotional on the sideline. I didn't see that, but I guess the TV showed it. Um, I think that's a cuttable offense, to be honest with you. Be- and, and not just because of what he did. It's because of everything that's built up towards this point and also what happened in that game, okay? So let me make this case, and Chris, you tell me if you're on board. Because I know you're initially going to say they shouldn't cut him. It's one mistake. You know right? so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're such a player. Uh, here's the thing. He's been passed over for a starting job, I think, three times this offseason. Um between Jason Peters, Nate Herbig, and then Jake, Jack Driscoll. And then they were forced to move Herbig to left guard so that they could actually play prior at right guard. I also think Jamon Brown's probably eventually going to be the starting right guard as well. Um, then on top of that, you have a game where guys are just, just pe- have tons of penalties. It's 11 penalties for 93 yards. And the most egregious one is Pryor's. I think you have to make an example out of somebody here. Like they they're winless after three games. You have to do something. You have to say like, Hey guys, if you screw up, this is a young team. Remember this isn't a veteran group. If you screw up, there are consequences. There's gotta be some sort of accountability. And Matt Pryor is a very easy target here. Now that Jamon Brown's been here for two weeks, you know what you've gotten to Opeta. You like him. Pryor's a guy that they clearly aren't in love with. Um, and he had a rough summer uh, for the most part. So, like, I don't have an issue with doing an accountability strike. Matt Pryor's a nice kid. I'm sure he works really, really hard. But realistically, you've got to show the rest of the locker room, especially those young cats, like, hey, if you mess up, we're going to put a face on it. Because you have to do that. It's reached the point where I, like you said about Carson, I don't know what he's learned. Well, somebody's got to get taken to school and be made an example out of. That's just how the NFL works. And if you're going to scapegoat these coaches, if you're going to scapegoat, you know, Howie Roseman for having a bad roster, well, then you need to realize when this thing's snowballing and you need to take effect. So did I make the case or are you still, you know, um, sunshine and rainbows? See, it's not all sunshine and rape. Oh, whoa, whoa, easy, easy, now, easy. No, 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 no. My thing is this. You cut them, you're going to start your fourth different offensive line combination out in four weeks. It's you're going to probably do that anyway, though, dude. <laughs> like, Jamon Brown is probably going to start. You didn't sign this dude just to be a backup when he's got 47 games of experience and has played in 60 games. The point of bringing him in, and frankly – the, the long-term thinking of moving Herbig to left guard is so you make sure that Jamon Brown, who has all this experience at right guard, can actually play, in my opinion. I don't want to go ahead. I just can't go ahead and mess up that. You're, you're trying to build offensive line so much chemistry and to go ahead and continually having to break it up and then put some more pieces in there and then, okay, let's shift this person around. for You, you can't continually do this and expect to be even remotely successful. Granted, it hasn't been that much, but yeah, right. I don't, I don't foresee putting in Jamon Brown right now. I don't think Jamon Brown would go ahead and solve all these problems right now. And even even then, it takes 
we, we've seen these, I know he's a vet, but we've seen some of these rookies. How long does it take to go ahead and learn this offense's play calls and go ahead and try to do all this stuff right now? I just don't think that having here and cutting him just to cut somebody will be the right move right now. I don't, I don't think he can bench him. He has to, he, it, I understand where you're coming from saying you have to set an example. I really do. I think he, I mean, and by the way, hey, and, and by the way, sorry, again, to cut you off. You know, Quez Watkins and Will Parks are both eligible to return to the roster this this uh, week. And, well, I mean, you're going to have to make roster moves anyway. So, look, I think it's an easy move to make. I, I really do. I, and it's a shame, but I get where you're coming from totally. I, I, and it's not just cutting a guy for the sake of cutting a guy. If they wanted to cut a guy just for the sake of cutting a guy, like, that's that's like a move you make with Nate Gary. But like I just think with Matt Pryor, like it's not like they're missing a whole ton a bunch with him. I didn't think he played particularly well today. I'd have to go back and look at the tape um and really break it down. But I don't know, man. Like what level how are you keeping accountability otherwise? How that's a better question. What's what's your solution otherwise? Because Right now, the only accountability we've seen is they bench Nicole Roby Coleman for Craven LeBlanc, and frankly, that's not good enough. No, yeah, I think you have to st- basically. This is where you start to go ahead and accountability. It really needs to go to these leaders. A really somebody needs to go. I know they said they have the people that go up and talk, but but do you really see like a Brandon Graham really going in somebody's face and starts yelling? I think you know it's not the most optimal way, but I want to see somebody go up to somebody and start chewing somebody out in that locker room at least once. Heck, it can be WWE like and it's pre-scripting, like, hey man, listen. And and I've seen this on a couple granted at my level, I've seen this happen on team. Hey man, I want to go go ahead and say something to you, but it's, it's it's not personal, but go ahead and I'm gonna say this. You just go ahead and show somebody that, hey, you know what? It, it takes one of these captains, if there are really the captains and, and they're truly leaders, it's gonna take somebody to go up to somebody and start calling them out. I mean Heck, I mean, if it's Grant, Brandon Graham or Fletcher Cox going, well, most of the Brandon Graham going over to Carson Wentz and starts like, hey, man, you can't be throwing stuff like that for bleep, 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 bleep in the locker room just to go ahead and yell, hey, so you have some fire? If you see somebody like that really take, like, getting called out, like your quarterback or somebody else, he goes, whoa, uh, we, we really got to fall in line. Because right now, it just looks like a lot of these guys are just going, yeah, we got to do it better. Yeah, we got to keep better and better. Do you really see a spark like that going in there. I think that that's a better way of going to get accountability because if you're just like getting cut, then I think everybody starts to tighten up a little bit more and I think it really starts to impact your play. Not like, oh, well, I got to do this before you cut or if I do the slightest thing, you start thinking back of my mind. If I do the slightest thing, I'm off. So I don't think the release method of trying to go ahead and cut somebody is really going to jumpstart. Hey, let's jumpstart. We're going to play better now because Matt Pryor is gone. If you're going to do something like that, it's going to have to be somebody at a high level or a notable position, not not the right guard who's filling in for somebody else who's hurt. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a valid point. I, I just think, like, you know, I don't know where else you would do it, is my point. Um, you can sign Orlando Skandrick again and cut him if that works. Yeah, hey, just to cut him, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, look, J.J. single whitesides a guy who I think it's very safe to call him a bust at this point. I, I've been very patient with him as far as, like, my critique, but – you know, 19 games in, he's got 10 catches. You know what? You know, I mean, it, it's that, just, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look, I don't know what's going on there, but you've got a guy like Deontay Burnett come into a game and catch three passes. Uh, you have 
uh, John Hightower out there for a very long time. You have um, Richard Rogers coming in and immediately catching a pass. Like, this, look, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know with him anymore. I, I just think this is one of those situations where if he's not the biggest bust of the Howie Roseman era, he's definitely the biggest bust of, like, this second Howie Roseman era, you know, maybe not like overall, he's not Danny Watkins, but maybe he, he's definitely of this second reign, certainly the worst. Um, but maybe he is actually the worst overall because at least Watkins started a bunch of games. <laughs> I, I, where do you, where do you put him kind of on the roster? Like how much of a disappointment is he? Remember Mac Hollins? He's taking Mac Hollins' place as the guy who's yes. getting a lot of time and just all of a sudden he's out there on the field, he's running routes, and he's not getting any targets. And if he does, the, something bad happens. <laughs> the difference is is that Mac Hollins was a, a fourth-round pick and was mostly a special teams player. The difference is, like, they drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to be a dude, and he got a ton of playing time last year and didn't do very much with it. Um you know, before we get into even more negative stuff, I, I think we should just go with our final thoughts because I think we're going to have a lot of venom on Thursday as well. So, Chris, what are your final thoughts? Heading, you know, this really, this episode definitely felt like a recap of a loss. Where, where's your head at heading into the week? You know, as we're ending right now, I can feel myself the blood boiling more and more. Just like because it's just this this should never this never should have happened on so many fronts and. They, you want to say they have to turn it around, but how many times have we said this over and over again? I'm just at least uh, three, yeah, <laughs> at least at least for Doug Peterson, he's going to, and for that leaders on his team, he's they're going to have to find a spark because if uh, somewhere because that's a long, that's going to be a long flight home from San Francisco. If they look, if San Francisco plays the way it is, going to be a long flight. Oh, and f- Oh, and uh, finishing 0-3-1. And, and yeah, they think it's going to be bad this week tying the Bengals. It's going to be even worse the following week. So if they want to stop hearing our mouths, they will start wanting to hearing the people of Philadelphia's mouths and anybody around the league. They, they, they better find something, a way to rectify this quickly. Yeah, they got feisty this week. And guess what? The pressure and the the difficulty aren't going away. So, you know, instead of, getting fussy with us for doing our jobs. You know, I, I think it's time for this team to really rally. There has to be some behind the door, behind the scenes talks. There needs to be some difficult conversations. Maybe there needs to be some benching, but frankly, this team isn't good enough. It's not, it's not even talented enough. Howie Roseman deserves a lot of blame here. Uh, the play calling has not been good on either side of the ball either. Uh, and the talent just not living up to everybody's failing here. Like this is an overall failure. There's very little room for, to be excited about if, if you're an Eagles fan, I would presume, I mean, really Miles Sanders, right? I mean, and Nate Herbig. Cool. <laughs> um, just remember you guys can, uh, you know, if you, if you want to come and be depressed with us, uh, it, you know, cause we'll have, we'll have all that fun, fun commentary that we always have. Um, <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. Like I was saying to you, I covered some really, really bad Jaguars teams. This is this is setting up to be even worse because the expectations are so different. Um, and it's Philly. 
So uh, I have to like go scroll through the the Eagles fans on Twitter. I got to read those things, and it's depressing because it's like I have no good news for them. You know what I mean? It's yeah. uh, it's rough. But uh, remember, you guys can sign up for Eagles Extra. It's nj.com/text. Uh, we'll provide you all the breaking news, uh, injury updates, some info on Dallas Goddard, some info on the potential returns of Will Parks and, and Quest Watkins. You can also download the No Huddle Show podcast wherever podcasts are available. We appreciate you guys listening. For Chris, I'm Mike. We'll talk to you Thursday. Thursday.